0: today on Rolling with New York Mike. I understand there are at least two sides to every argument and a lot more perspectives in the complicated world of political nuance. But some things are as clear as black and white, but clouded by the sleight of hand distractions, not like that which takes our eye off the ball. Distracts us when we're watching the ball, more like the Harlem Globetrotters than the Lakers or the Knicks (laughs) or, or a conventional team. And the more we see them spinning the ball on the tips of their fingers, the more we should be aware that this isn't Houdini performing for our entertainment. These people have an agenda that's probably not in our best interest. Welcome to Rolling with the most patriotic man I know, my husband, and now his podcast, Rolling with New York Mike. Get on the ride. Hey, I'm New York Mike, and this is Rolling with New York Mike. We haven't been doing a lot of Rolling, if Rolling refers to me riding my motorcycle, which is exactly what Rolling, what Rolling refers to. But it, it, I guess it's also just just Rolling, how I roll, what I'm doing. I'm just looking at everything and trying to trying to give my take on things. I'd like to talk more about actually Rolling. Yeah it's been a wild week in politics it's kind of interesting that for the last few weeks so so much goes on and so i've been doing this podcast on tuesdays and thursdays for a couple of years and now for the last few months it seems like it started off because uh oh i better wait you know wait till because there's this whatever on tuesday and and then I'd wait to get the result of the whatever happened on Tuesday and then on Wednesday. <laughs> and then you go, okay, it's Thursday. I better wrap up the week. And then something else is coming up. So, oh, my God, i got to wait. i got to wait. So it seems like, at least for the last several weeks, that I keep on pushing it off because of what's going on, which is kind of interesting because to wrap things up on Friday and then get this out over the weekend... I don't think it really works that well as far as logistically for the podcast. I don't think a lot of people listen to podcasts on the weekend from what I'm discerning. So if I get this done today, we'll probably put this out on Monday. So this will have been a week of um, yeah, wild and interesting politics and without... Without rolling with New York by podcast. So, well, that's the way it goes sometimes. But it's also a week I've been concerned, not concerned about, but just you start planning. Everybody talks about New York's resolutions. I don't know where that came from. I don't think I've ever made, quote unquote, resolutions. But I, I do sit there and contemplate the year. I think a lot of people do. It's time. Well, what's this year going to be like compared to last year? And not that we don't do that every day. And I remember the days I used to go into the office back in New York, and I had a yellow pad, and I'd start my day every day by going over that yellow pad and making notes. This is what I'm doing. This is who I'm calling. Put down each phone call I'm going to make and who you know, who I'm going to lunch with and what I'm going to do and, and lay it out. It didn't take that long. And then at the end of the day, I would go back... To the list because every time i'd make a call across the road, i'd go back to the list at the end of the day to see what it is i did not get done read any notes that i that i took it's during the day and i would write things down we, we didn't have the iphones <laughs> anyway i won't get into that right now but that yellow pad kind of a thing was was it worked for me And then I'd make a few notes at the end of the day, so I'd be ready for the... And I'd come in the next day and go through the same thing all over again. I'd write down, and and of course, going back to the day before, the notes of the day, which walls I didn't make, which ones I did, what I had left to do, and then what I put down towards the end of the day. This was kind of ritualistic. It, It was years and years that that went on and you want to call it modernity (laughs) as as things change and progress and we get to a more electronic world and a world where it used to be I'd dictate a letter to somebody on a regular basis, maybe two or three times a day. And those days are gone. So today, you know, I I type things out or write things out, on my notes and transfer them or just write straight out emails. It's all different. Everything's different. And so many people today, and I, I, again, I don't understand it, but I I'm getting it. People like to text rather than get on the phone. And I, I really don't, I try to understand it. Yeah, sure. Quick notes. That's fine. But when you're trying to describe a situation, the text just doesn't work and neither does the email a letter memorializes a conversation an agreement meetings different things and i i think to initiate those topics those op- sales opportunities and other things with emails or whatever you're going to use on on your computer or your iphone or whatever to to do that in in a way that initiates the process just doesn't work for me, and yet when I get phone calls, I'm so skeptical. It's it's not like it was because we're, we're we've become all so accessible, and not that I wasn't accessible. Look, I, I'll go back to the days at Kennedy Airport. Kennedy Airport had what was called the Aus, the Airport Unlimited Service. If you are a six five six or a nine nine five prefix and your phone number, you were part of the airport unlimited service. So people could just pick up, dial the last four of your AUS, whether it 656 six five six, nine nine five. Mine was six five six 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 four. Yes, I tried to get the six 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 six. That's another story. But we had this unlimited service and anybody within that the whole thing, anybody on the airport, right outside the airport within the confines of the, the business area of JFK could subscribe to that and people could readily access you. But not so. People from Brooklyn, New York City, you have to have, you have to be in, in a certain perimeter. So today it just looks like it's open house. So, you get a phone call, and you don't know who you, if you don't know the person you're talking to, if you don't have a relationship with that person. So, it's, it's hard to develop one, and it's a, it's a whole different culture. And I'm not talking about the culture of culture, I'm talking about the culture of business and doing business. And at the same time, it's, I'm sure it's the same thing. You have the ability to get some of these phone number and say, okay, hey, I'm going to give you a call next week, you know, wherever you meet them and however you talk to them, at some event and you go someplace and they you exchange numbers and you give them a call, that's how things are done, but you get that call and if you don't know the number, if it's not in your contacts, if it's a, it's a, a whole different world of doing business and so... Here, here we are, the, the beginning of a new year, and looking forward, had some meetings this week, and the opportunities they have in front of me, and I'm thinking about it, and, and clearly I, I, I miss being in engaged in the motorcycle industry. Don't forget, prior to having San Diego Harley-Davidson, my had my little, my little aftermarket <laughs> business for years, which is more of a hobby than a business, but it enabled me to do what I did and buying and selling and fixing and writing off the cost of doing that as a business expense. So it morphed into San Diego Harley Davidson. And at this point, except for the consulting that I do, I'm not as engaged and I miss it. But I am working on and have been working on other opportunities and we'll we'll see where it goes. So here I am and I get some phone calls from friends and Hey, Mike, we're going to see you in Sturgis this year. Well, Sturgis is in August. That's eight months away. But here it is. We're already planning. And so, yeah, well. So I know we'll see you in Daytona. Just one about Sturgis because we have this going on and this going on. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's first things first. I'm not sure I'm even going to Daytona. Let me sit down and plan. Oh, oh, we just assumed we'd see you there. And then, okay. So, you know, you, you got to look out three months six months this is how how things get done and it's different so i'm looking at the calendar i'm looking at the rides coming up obviously daytona is right around the corner we're in the middle of january by the middle of february i gotta be packing (laughs) to get on the road because i want to be in daytona by march 6th because that's when when i have the first first event that I've been invited to. So March 6th, to be there March 6th, I gotta decide. March 6th, when I travel to Daytona on the 10 and go through San Antonio, I love to be able to stop at the um, Alamo on March 6th, 1836 is when the Alamo fell. And me being this uh, history aficionado, I love the history of this country. And the, the occasions, and there's been quite a few where I've been going through the Alamo on March 6th and participate in the, the ceremonies that go on on that day every year. So if I want to be in Daytona on March 6th, well, then I have to leave, leave San Diego, obviously March 1st at the very latest, because you got to leave way for weather. Anyway, so trying to decide, am I doing that? And when I get back... April thirteenth is PLH Peace, Love, and Happiness in in Austin, Texas. So, do I ride all the way back from Daytona? Get back like when? If I leave Daytona March fifteenth, and I get back anyway, I'm bringing you into the inner sanctum of my crazy motorcycle riding mind. But that's that's how these things go, and then I ride to San Antonio ride back, get back like April, what, April 20th, somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe the 25th, depending on how long we stay in Austin and when we leave, what the weather's like, then I turn around, and less than a month later, the middle of May, we leave for Rolling Thunder, and this year we're going through, we're going through Oklahoma, so I'm definitely taking the 40 again to meet up with Robert in oklahoma at the boost fighters national and then go from there so it's like it's not just going to daytona then riding back and it's almost a constant a constant ride (laughs) across to daytona and then back and then austin texas and then back you know then you know oklahoma city and then i mean it just doesn't end so once you make the commitment to that for the year It's like, wait a minute, I've got to, you know, reset my whole thought process and connection because I'm obviously, you know, it's been two years since I sold San Diego Harley. I'm working on a lot of different things, doing some consulting work, and I appreciate that, but I'm also looking at other opportunities and getting close to doing some of that. So how do you fit that all in? I got to tell you, I marvel at my friend Robert, who continually, he, he has been with me, I don't think he's missed a rolling thunder, because this will be the 17th year, I believe, and every, and he gets movie opportunities, and TV shows, and whatever, and clearly, he's been on USO tours, come back on a a Saturday then we leave for Washington on a Sunday or a Monday, and it goes on and on and on. But somehow the consistency of him being able to do that and these other rides, to me, is like when I think about it, especially now, not being in the industry, even though Robert is owning Santa Clarita Harley-Davidson, so on top of his movie commitments, he's got that and it. So we've got to separate the ones that you really, really want to do, the ones that you're really going to commit to, and the ones that, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> it's just not as not as easy to do it all. So looking forward to laying it out, making my phone calls, talking to friends around the country, making decisions. The, the one thing I'll tell you, Rolling to Remember, which was Rolling Thunder, which is Memorial Day in Washington, D.C., is just always the very top of the top, the very top of the list, the very the highest priority that I have and I appreciate whoever the others are, like Robert Thatcher, who make it their ride priority for sure. And for me it's much more than just a ride priority, but it's appreciated when people set aside that time like I just went through the thought process and the planning process for the year which gets more complicated for me not being again engaged and immersed in in the industry it it becomes and, and I I can appreciate how other people not involved in the motorcycle industry and how all you out there who aren't who still ride a lot and the ones who definitely make it their business to go to Washington, D.C. for Memorial Day. I got to tell you how much I really do appreciate the effort and really do appreciate the fact that you show up. We got a uh, an email from my friend Steve Prager today with some additional information about this year's Rolling Thunder. And even though Steve, who is on the board of of Rolling Thunder and, and the head of security for Rolling Thunder, and is on the board of Rolling Thunder Charities and does so much. And Rolling Thunder, of course, not going to Washington, D.C., but Steve is every year, and he wrote about today, and we talk about the Friday Night Vigil. Robin and I usually get to D.C. on Thursday. We've gotten there on Wednesdays (laughs) once in a while, but we'll get there Thursday, and we got our plan. But the Friday Night Vigil is always on the agenda, and it's at the Wall And it's always pretty packed. We celebrate those who who sacrificed their lives for all of us. And the Gold Star families, their wives, children, husbands, parents, they show up and there's usually quite a bit of them. And it's just something that I think is the most important part of that weekend. And I, from what Steve sent me, this morning he sent to all of us. I think he agrees with that. And so Steve's going to be coming down as will other Rolling Thunder members coming down for the Friday night vigil, then riding back to New Jersey or New York or Maryland or wherever they ride in from Saturday to do the Rolling Thunder thing, which is now every place but Washington, D.C. And Rolling to Remember in the vets will be doing as they've done for the last, what, three years? 2000, 2001, 2002. So this will be the fourth year of Rolling to Remember doing the Rolling Thunder using that, an event that makes a lot of noise to so people pay attention to the fact that there's a POW MIA issue brought out by us Vietnam veterans and shining a light on that it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. And, and I hope that it's gonna be bigger every year as it grew since it started in, what was that, 1987? We dedicated the wall in 82, and of course I went there every year. Then Arnie Muller and um, Walt Sides, and there two other guys, saw the Rolling Thunder. And so for 30, what, 32 years, they consistently, year after year, a big effort, a year-long effort to put this together, the administration, you know, securing the Pentagon parking lot, the security, the police, the streets, the, the I mean, everything involved was such a huge undertaking. It just got to the point where it got so big and the security got so difficult that Audie Muller just said, well, we're not going to do that. So Joe Chinelli and the AMVETs took it over and have been doing what I think is a spectacular job. And it's grown. Obviously, in 2020 with COVID, <laughs> it was, there were 12 of us at the White House. That was rolling thunder. Well, no, that's not fair. Because that Sunday, there, there were a few hundred. And the saluting Marine, <laughs> Tim Chambers, was there saluting all of us, and we improvised, they improvised, and put together something that when, when there was nothing, just out of nothing, and did a, a, a really impressive job when there was nothing, and, it, and nobody could be in Washington, there was nothing, you couldn't get anything to eat, you could not get food, drink, or a cup of coffee in Washington, D.C. The only way we were able to get food, we stayed in the hotel and we were able to get room service. That was that was possible, but it wasn't easy. And you could only get it during certain hours. So that was, people couldn't get there. Everything was closed. So the embeds doing that in that year and President Trump inviting everybody to the White House and us doing what we did, that was great. But in 21, it was even more impressive under the adversity of the Biden administration not letting us have the uh, Pentagon parking lot and how hard the AMVETs worked all year to get someplace. I know they tried to get FedEx Stadium. That fell apart. A lot of politics involved. And they ended up getting RFK Stadium, which was great. And we had we had quite a few motorcycles. It was a great ride. It was a great under the circumstances, it was phenomenal. Rain and and cold and wind and everything else, as well as the adversity of people that just didn't want to see this event taking place. So it was was a great job. And then last year, 2022, I thought that the, the, the program they put together was better than excellent. We could never have vendors inside the Pentagon parking lot. We couldn't have the speeches. We couldn't have we couldn't have anything except the gathering place. <laughs> and and that was difficult. But don't take that literal, but it pretty much is. But at rolling to remember, at RFK, we had everything. We had vendors. We had people putting on motorcycle demonstrations of how to ride. We had Harley Davidson with their entire demo fleet there, which was great. Yeah, we had food and coffee and anything we wanted, and it was, it was terrific. So my guesstimate is we had fifty thousand riders. I could be wrong. I've never had that number. Rolling to remember never did confirm whether that was accurate, underestimated or exaggerated. I have no idea, but that's my guesstimate, and uh, I'll probably find out in the next. The next few weeks as everybody's gearing up for rolling to remember 2023 so we'll be in contact we'll have conversation and i'll i'll find out what that number was and and this year i would expect it's going to be larger i was there as rolling thunder grew in in the 80s and the 90s and on into the uh 21st century and that whole thing's starting over again as good as Artie Muller and, and the Rolling Thunder team did, and they really did good. I'm expecting more from the events based on what I've seen so far. So, you know, and 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 I think some of the Rolling Thunder people have been reaching out and getting more involved in in this whole this whole event. So there I am talking for the first hey half of the podcast about actually rolling on the motorcycle. <laughs> but it was a wild week in politics. And as much as I love talking about riding, I want, to, I want to get back to talking about pretty much what's been going on. I want to talk about Rolling to Remember and Memorial. Clearly, this is all important to me, especially Rolling to Remember. But it's on my mind that we're all watching football, again. And that's interesting. Another phenomenon that I want to point out. I stopped watching the NFL, oh, don't get me wrong, I'm not one of these big fans. I like football, I like to watch, I played it. And so, it's cool, I've had friends, many friends, on the Jets and some of the Giants, some of the team. I mean, I, I, I just don't get excited about being, I'm not a fan, I'm just not a fan. I don't know the names, and I no, never did. I was a fan of the New York Yankees when I was a kid. <laughs> I still I still know the Yankee teams of the 50s. I don't know anything after that. So it's interesting that this Kaepernick starts using the NFL to further his, the victimhood of the quote-unquote marginalized black people in America. And he goes out and puts it out there. And the NFL gets all behind him. Like, what? What are they trying to do? These guys are all millionaires. So maybe there's just 70% of black. They probably have this uh, guilt of being so successful millionaires, even though there are uh, some of the people in the neighborhood they go back to. Hey, why don't you give me some of that money? Won't you? Well, I played football with you in high school or in the street. and you're So these guys going. I don't know what their motivation is. I have no idea. But it was bullshit then, it's bullshit now. And it got me to stop watching it because I, I, I don't have to go into it. Uh, you know the American flag and the sacrifice of of those to make this the greatest country in the world it demands respect, and we didn't get it. So you know it's been a few years now. All of a sudden, this what DeMar Hamlet, not Hamblin by the way, my friend Ken Hamblin is Hamblin with a B, and I, I mistakenly said. Well, what a uh, random coincidence, Hamlin. Hamlin, no, Hamlin. My my bad, if uh, if you heard that uh, podcast. But Tamar Hamlin is um, he's he's front and center, and he should be. And millions more are consumed with I get it, baseball, hockey, fantasy stuff, which I know less about than than I know about Bitcoin, and all of this is is just. A distraction, maybe a healthy distraction. So, when I see all of a sudden, Demar Hamlin gets out there, and I and I, I happen to like Buffalo, so I'm, I'm watching the game. It was a big Monday night game, if I remember right. And this kid gets a heart attack on the field, and everything happens. So, it's a phenomenon that you look at it, and all of a sudden, this color distinction that the NFL kind of, like, sucked up to, and everybody was like, oh, yeah, Kaepernick, and, you know, we got it. You know, all of a sudden, the guy is black. Nobody cares he's black. They care that something happened. He could have been black, white, brown, yellow. No one, I, It red. It, it doesn't matter. People just, the outpouring of caring and, and love and concern was... Amazing. And and it displayed what America is really all about. Not about racism, not about hate, not about... So I'll be honest. It's like, what should we be focused on with everything going on? Now, I'll make my case not for politics in the sense that we should all be political. But I'll make a case that we should be more aware of what the politicians who run this country are up to at a time in history when everything's exposed and and we shouldn't allow ourselves to be fooled. I understand there are at least two sides to every argument and a lot more perspectives in the complicated world of political nuance. But some things are as clear as black and white, but clouded by the sleight of hand distractions, not like that which takes our eye off the ball, but what distracts us, When we're watching the ball, watching the ball, more like the Harlem Globetrotters than the Lakers or the Knicks or a conventional team. And the more we see them spinning the ball on the tips of their fingers, the more we should be aware that this isn't Houdini performing for our entertainment. These people have an agenda that's probably not in our best interest. But what seems so obvious to me and seems so different to those on the other side, I can't wrap my head around that. It's clear to me that we have a border issue that's deeper than the simplistic description of Roe Conner. If you heard Roe Conner, the Congress from, from California, okay, very simplistic. Oh, I want people to be able to come to the United States. We need a border policy. that. It's so, how do you be so simplistic And you're you're a member of Congress of the United States and not talk about drugs, fentanyl, crime, human trafficking, the, the cartel. Come on. Are you kidding? We have an economy that's in trouble, serious trouble, a military that's challenged being used by things like social engineering and Department of Defense profiteering, a culture that's denying the reality of science for the fantasies of those few, or maybe they're not few, who see abnormal as, as normal, and what we've always believed was normal is hate-mongering, intolerant, and divisive. I mean, it's crazy. We're, we're also seeing the U.S. being redefined as an imperialistic empire built on the backs of marginalized people from the indigenous to the slaves to the immigrants who were anything but Caucasian. That's that's white, by the way. Yeah, immigrants who weren't white. <laughs> and, and most of all, from where I sit, we are the linchpin nation of the cause. That's to these people, of the cause of global climate change that is and has been the most existential threat to humankind since the 1990s, right? For the last 30 years, we've, we've survived extinction miraculously as, as have the polar bears, by the way, for at least the last 20. I mean, these are the things that are going on all around us. And these are the things that distract me. I'm just focused on, hey, where am I gonna ride today? Who am I gonna ride with? What am I gonna do when I get there? Let's let's have some fun. What are we gonna have for lunch? No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> I'm I'm very distracted by all these other things. The border, the economy, our military. Our military. That's a that's a big deal for me. I was talking to a friend of mine whose brother came down from Alaska. Last night we we were just sitting around smoking cigars and talking about I'm a veteran from a long, long time ago. These guys, one is currently serving and the other one recently got out of the Marine Corps and trying to understand the mentality of the country about veterans, about about our current military. And it 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 was kinda of interesting because I kind of felt that the former Marine, who's not working in Alaska, by the way. Cool dude, man. I, I kind of felt like he was looking to get charged up. And I told him, I said, look, I if I'm hiring people, I, I, everybody's got this college education. What are they learning in college today? About They're learning about diversity and gender this and sexualize that. and That's not what you go to college for. What you learn in the military, what you learn by going through... How many? Three years, four years, as many as you want. Some people stay in for a career. God bless them. But there's still a lot of people that go in and go in and get out. And I've I've known quite a few. They do their four years in the Navy, the Air Force, the Marine Corps, three years in the Army, whatever it is, and then they get out. They they've done their thing, and for whatever reasons, that's it. Not everybody's in there for a career. I don't, I wish I knew the percentage of people who join the military. And get out after a tour versus those who stay in and how that breakdown works out. Because I I think that's very interesting. I haven't seen statistics on that, and I'm sure they're available. I could probably just go to my uh, Google. (laughs) But anyway, so But I I was saying how somebody who's had a military experience, and I I don't want to say again. A career experience necessarily. Somebody went in, and, and I'm equating it to a college education. So let's let's balance it with four years of college versus four years of military. I'll take that military experience for a for an employee any day of the week for a partner for someone to work with on a project or anything because it's focused. It's something that you have to demonstrate that commitment. You, you know, you, you, you have to perform, you have to show up, you have to be there. Not like going to going to school, going to college where you could take basket weaving and get the same credit as higher mathematics. And so, and I, I don't trust what they're teaching people in college. I don't know that they get out of college, that they've had that same learning experience. I, I don't think when you go through four years in the military, you come out, Feeling entitled? <laughs> Maybe you should, but you don't. Uh, I think most of the young veterans that I've met and who I know have a feeling of okay, I, you know, it's, it was a rite of passage. I did it. Now I can work for my future. Not I'm entitled to something because I did four years in the military. Whereas people that come out of school, they feel entitled. I went through college. I got that college education. I got that loans. Get they me 20 years to pay off. I mean, man, now I can, I need to get something for it. I. You know what? I never heard that from a veteran. I never heard a veteran get out of the military and say, okay, I did my four years. I mean, this guy last night, again, cool dude, former Marine. Was he deployed? Yeah, he was deployed. Did he go to Afghanistan? Yeah, he went to Afghanistan. Did he? Yeah, we didn't talk about the specifics. I, I don't need that. But I know he paid a price. He went he went through the hell of combat and he didn't say he's not well nobody owes him anything it's interesting he said when he first got out people used to say thanks for your service you know he kind of like felt self-conscious and then after a while he said thank you and now he answers it the same way i answer it it was a privilege i tell people it was my honor to serve when they say that and and that's it of course I don't know how many people say thank you for going to college. <laughs> maybe, maybe they do deserve a little more credit. But most of these people, they feel like they, they went to four years of school and or maybe more. And for some reason, the world owes them something for that. That they went to the school, they attended the college, they got their bachelor's degree. Maybe they got a master's degree. And now they're supposed to, they're entitled to get that better-paying job, get the raise, get And it, it doesn't work that way. But interestingly, if somebody went through four years in the military, paid that service, got underpaid for those four years, underpaid, underserved, ate the horrible food. In the military. it wasn't always horrible, but it was. They wasn't really good. Okay, (laughs) It was a little rough. You know, when I was in, we did KP, Kitchen Police. So that when it came your turn, it always came your turn at some point that you were in the kitchen cleaning, helping the cooks, doing all the the grunt work and all that. So everybody took a turn doing that. We didn't have civilians in the kitchens. I don't think we should have civilians in the kitchens today. You talk about the budget. I think the military's bloated budget isn't because we're spending too much money on actual weapons and ammunition, things that'll take on an enemy and keep us safe. No, 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 no. I think it's it's all the civilians that we... I mean, that's where I would start from. All the civilians that we hire to do the work that draftees and young recruits used to do when I was in. So, you know, why do we need to spend more money? We need an audit this uh, defense budget, and, and I think we should be getting rid of a lot of the fluff that we have. But when you think about going through the military, even with all the, the good stuff, it's still a rough four years to go through. Not just all the training and all the rest, all the crap you take. It's like I said to the guys yesterday, people don't appreciate it. You're fighting for the freedom of everybody else in the country, but you give up your freedom In order to do that, when you're subject to the to the UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, you're guilty until proven innocent. That's just the opposite of every other American citizen is innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. Even this scumbag that killed these four kids in Moscow, Idaho. I mean, he is innocent until proven guilty. And that's like, wait a minute, you see a crime like that, it's hard to wrap your head around that. I get it. And so many other things. And so many people take that a little further down the road than it should be. That's where you get this no bail thing. No bail means you get arrested, you're locked up, you're given a date to show up in court, and you just go. You don't have to pay bail, just go. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work like that, and it shouldn't work like that. But I I get that you're innocent until proven guilty. But in the military, you are guilty. You've got to prove yourself not guilty. So that's people go in the military. They give up their freedom to fight for your freedom. They they're also time and grade. So when you're in the military, whatever rank you are, of course, everybody that outranks you is a higher rank. Is is your boss? (laughs) Very well defined. (laughs) <laughs> it's not like when you go to work, sometimes there's 10 people around and there's a hierarchy. Well, people that go to work don't wear the hierarchy on their sleeves. You don't see somebody with two stripes, someone else with three. <laughs> in the military, that distinction is right there. Why? Because you might not be seeing the same people every day. Somebody new comes in, and in the hangar, or walks on the training field. And they readily see who they're in charge of and who's in charge of them. Well, you might have joined at the same time and gone through the same training. But maybe they got promoted a couple of weeks before you. So that person with the same rank, same everything else as you, but has time and grade. That time and grade gives them the privilege of being your boss. It's the way it is. And that boss that you have may be a jerk may not be as I, it doesn't matter yours is not to reason why yours is just to do or die and that's the military so when you you go through four years of giving that service to the rest of the country and you're not entitled eh, you're entitled to benefits you're titled entitled to the uh uh whatever i went through when i went to university of south carolina i had the um whatever it's called, the military, whatever benefit. I can't even remember the name of it now. But there are certain, certain things that you can't get you're entitled to. But you're not entitled entitled. You're not entitled to a quote-unquote better job, better pay, a raise, or anything like that. You're entitled to the job you left. I believe you're entitled to get that job back. I believe if you're, if you're home and you're in the National Guard unit and you get deployed that that job has to be held for you until you get back from a deployment but if you join the military while well, you have a job let's say you know you're 19 years old you work in a restaurant or whatever a bar or a factory and you join the military for 4 years they, they don't have to hold that job for 4 years no that's it doesn't work it doesn't work like that Nope, it doesn't work like that but it's interesting that these I want to call them kids, and I they shouldn't. They're in their mid-20s, and they're great human beings. I'd, I'd work with them any time. And I say that about most most of the young veterans and members currently serving who who I've met and known. And then we got to look at some things. When we talk about clarity and we talk about distractions, some things aren't as clear like the war in Ukraine. Should we push Zelensky to make a deal with Putin or help give him more of an advantage first. I think that's the big question. What do we do? Science. Nuclear fusion. Let's let necessity drive innovation. The creating of inventions. And while we're waiting, why not expand? We're this is This is what's going on. Nuclear fusion, if you haven't heard, because it came out about a month ago. After after working for I don't know decades generations to find a, a better maybe a more perfect energy source, nuclear fusion is it. It's the cleanest, the most economical. It's a phenomenal way. Now we've got to bottle it. They've they've got it. It's out there, and it's there. There's other things, hydro power and other things are coming out there. So let's let the necessity that we have for clean energy, which we do, everybody wants things cleaner. If you don't, you think that because someone's a Republican or somebody is called what, a right winger, you, you think that those, those people don't want clean air, clean water, clean energy? Of course they do. They just don't want to sacrifice our lives for it. They don't want to sacrifice our freedom for it. So let's let the necessity of clean energy, drive that innovation. The the creating of innovation, of invention, while we're waiting, why not expand, while we're waiting for, why not expand on nuclear energy? Why not expand it overall, instead of letting places like San Onofre go to hell? Believe in humanity. Believe that we can do it. Believe in the United States of America. Look at our history of invention and innovation, not from the government, not from the government, from the private sector. Take off the shackles, the regulations, the permit process, you know, the negative taxation. Allow us to invest and profit, write off more capital gains, give more incentives and less restrictions. You know, people talk about taxes and people talk about about, oh, they want more capital gains. Well, when you invest money, you could lose that money. You know, everybody doesn't make money. Most people lose money. You gotta remember that. All you see is those people that made all this money. How often do you see the people that lost money? It's a lot more often and a lot more money that was lost than has been made. And that's just the way it is. So you want to incentivize people to invest, to take that risk okay so we need more incentives less restrictions we need tort reform so we're not inhibited to take risk okay not take risk we, we, we want to be able to take risk in hiring and firing and we don't want to be subject to the cost of insurance because of absurd litigation without limitation that's exactly what's going on in the whole country i mean especially california and new york But litigation without limitation and hardly any downside except, oh yeah, those those so hard-fought settlements. Yeah, hard-fought. Real hard-fought. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. It doesn't matter if you're there to win. So many times that there was no chance the other side's going to win. And yet, there's a much, much bigger incentive to settle. And I'm talking about, you have an insurance company, you pay for the insurance. The insurance company's right there, and you, you take it down the line, you, you go through a process, the litigation a year, year and a half, maybe two years, and you're paying for all this. You gotta send down your, your management team and the other people have to have to be deposed and go through stuff. At the end of the day, you're gonna settle. That's the way it is. I don't know what the percentage is of litigation that actually goes to trial, I'll bet you it's less than 10%. I bet you it's a lot less than 10%. Because I don't know what percentage of these litigations are handled by people who have insurance. But when the insurance company, the, the last thing they want is risk. They are quote unquote risk adverse. And so rather than being caught, even if you know you got the goods, they're gonna settle. And we need taught reform. We really, really need taught reform. We need so much that, yeah, it it's a distraction. I agree it's a distraction. But so is everything else. But look what's going on politically. I think there's some good stuff going on in Congress right now. I think exposing the things that have gone on for the last couple of years, well, the last more than just a couple of years. How about what went on in 2016, how about, you know, weaponizing the FBI, everything that's going on. And now with Biden, the quote, unquote, the classified documents that he's had and they and they they, they talk about they want to say, well, it, it, the Biden's classified issue isn't as bad as Trump's classified issue, because with Trump, they were trying to get it back. Trump never denied having them. All he said, well, I was president. And I declassified them. So I can, and they said, well, can you put two locks on on the vault where it's being? Sure, I'll do that. And he did that. Cooperated all, you know, right throughout. But there was no hiding. There was no, like, they're not here. He never said that. Biden, since he's vice president, what was that, 2015, 16? These files have been hidden. He hasn't talked about them. And they were discovered by accident. So, and he can't, as a vice president, declassify anything. And we need to find out what's in these files, because we're concerned, I'm concerned, that he's got things in there, documents about Iran, China, and we're talking about evidence, more evidence. We already have all the evidence we really need that he's compromised, but what he's hidden in his garage could be a lot more evidence of why he's compromised in, on issues in Iran, in China, in the Ukraine. Are you kidding me? It's, it's you know, his self-interest that he has these and he's hiding these. It's a, There's a lot going on. And by the way, when I hear these Democrats talk about how they're saving us millions of dollars by lowering the cost of insulin, Trump did that. Trump did that. And then Biden ended it, and now the Democrats renew it. So, anyway, that's that's a lot going on. We're gonna we, we have, we're gonna have a lot to talk about this year going forward. I've got a lot of new things on the fire that I'm excited about. I can't talk about it. <laughs> I, I have to sign NDAs, non-disclosure documents, and stuff like that. So, I, even though I'm 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 so anxious to talk about, but I can't. But I will at some point, I, I, I guarantee you. In the meantime, January 18th is around the corner. That's when the new Harleys come out, when they're going to expose all the new stuff. And Harley's been going through a lot in the last few years. Boy, my timing for getting out couldn't have been better. No no way it could have been better on every level. But the one thing that's been consistent it's the quality of the motorcycle. The product, the center piece of the motorcycle world is clearly the, the motorcycle. And the Harley Davidson motorcycle, it reached state-of-the-art quality, I think, quite a while ago, maybe 10, 12, 15 years ago, the, the early 2000s. It, and by 2014, Project Rushmore It was just such a great bike, but it's gotten better every year since. And as as much as you could look back at Matt Levitech's tenure as CEO, you could say a lot of things about it, about his marketing or this or that, or where he focused things. His ability to maintain quality control and innovation in technology, I think was phenomenal and evidence in the Harleys that you no know, we we ride today and now coming into 2023 the 120th anniversary of Harley Davidson it's amazing it's a great story and i'm going to try to talk a lot about it okay i mean i don't know what's going to change i i don't know what's going on um in, in 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 the world of Harley Davidson. Is there a transition? What is the state of the art and what's I want blind spot lights on my mirrors. <laughs> I, I I don't think I'd drive a car without it. Why am I riding motorcycles without it? Anyway, there are a lot of things we're gonna talk about relating to that, but uh not today. Because today I'm gonna thank you for being there really thank my subscribers appreciate the hell out of every one of you left right center don't care what color what anything if you're listening i appreciate you but i am out thanks thanks for listening to rolling with new york mike listen follow and subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts to keep this podcast rolling